Welcome to the Leadership Window podcast with Dr. Patrick Jinks. Each week through a social sector lens, Patrick interviews leaders and experts and puts us in touch with trends and tips for leading effectively. Patrick is an LSI certified leadership coach, a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, a best-selling author, award-winning photographer, and a professional speaker. And now, here's Dr. Patrick Jinks. Happy winter, December. Um, it's too cold for me already, I can tell you. I like the warm weather. But I also love this time of year. Um, not particularly because it's the end of a year, but because we're getting very close to the beginning of a new year. People who know me know that my favorite day of the year is January 1. I love the first day of the new year. I don't know. There's something psychological about it. Maybe it's arbitrary, but I like fresh starts. I like, uh, I'm one of these that likes to, uh, rearrange the furniture every once in a while. I'm one of these that likes, uh, I love Mondays. They're the beginning of a week. I, I love um, I love mornings. They're the beginning of the day. So I'm looking forward to a new year. And what I do like about this time of year is it, I'm I'm already in the mode now of thinking about next year, thinking about what's next. And I get really excited and energized around this time of year when I start thinking about things like that. However. This time of year can be really challenging for a lot of people as well. Um, Holidays, you've probably heard all of the research, Um, you know, holidays can bring on depression. People, people get, um, people can be triggered by, by memories and experiences around not only the end of the year, but the holidays themselves. And as you come toward the end of the year in your work world, you just like, huh, it's like, I just got to the top of this mountain and I am beat. I'm just out of gas. I'm out of breath. I don't even know if I can go into the new year. I might be at my max. Um, I know it's not the only time of the year people feel that way, but it can be that way. And so I thought the timing for this particular episode might be relevant and good for folks. I have on this program today, Dr. Kim Hires who I met back in the summer at an annual conference that I'm a part of that I've talked about a lot on this show called the Blue Ridge Institute or BRI. And uh, Dr. Hires was the, was one of our keynote speakers and her topic was on burnout. And she is a, she is an international speaker, consultant coach, and she has dedicated her leadership development work around helping leaders achieve their highest potential and her work focuses on burnout prevention and recovery and just cultivating cultures of well-being. So I, I think preventing burnout, recognizing burnout when it comes, dealing with burnout when it comes, recovering and overcoming it. This is why we have her on the program. And I will tell you, I'm, my standards are high when it comes to presentations and keynotes. And she just, she just hit the nail on the head so perfectly with this group. Um, she has an amazing calming effect and, and, and yet powerful energy. And I couldn't wait to get her on the program. I told her in July, I'm going to be calling you. And here we are, Dr. Kim. Thank you for 
carving out time and joining us. I've really been looking forward to this. It's great to talk with you again. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Patrick. Thank you for having me on. This is going to be just so cool. We started the conversation uh, a week ago, I think, and and I well, I had to pause and go hold it. We're we let's let's re let's pick this conversation back up after we hit the record button because we realized, man, this is it. We're like having the episode right here. We just got into yeah. a great conversation about things, and that's kind of what I like the show to do. But I'm you know I introduced you very broadly. I'd like for you to introduce yourself a little bit deeper. You know, tell us kind of a little bit more about who you are and what your work is, how you help people. And, um, you know, what did I miss? <laughs> well, you actually gave me a really good intro. I'm like, uh, I don't know if there's much to say after that, but, um, like you said, I am a leadership development coach and I, I spend my time helping leaders first to overcome burnout because leadership presents a different level of stress and different kinds of challenges that we're not always taught how to deal with. We're taught how to make sure that everyone else is okay, that is within our charge, but we're seldom taught on how to check in with ourselves and make sure that we are okay. And when the leaders are not okay, the problem is with high achievers, most leaders are high achievers. The problem with high achievers is they can perform really, really well for a long time on autopilot. And the problem is when they hit capacity, we are so used to them being able to perform at such a high standard that we don't even realize that they're fully at capacity until oftentimes it's too late. And we start to see really significant changes in the way that they're interacting, the way that they're behaving. And ultimately, they are not able to lead in an optimal way because they are at capacity. So I, go, I travel all over the world helping leaders to sort of understand themselves, develop that self-awareness and take a good look at where they are, right? Are they at capacity? Are you really leading at your best? Or are you just going through the motions and performing, but you're not actually enjoying the life that you've created? You, you use two words in that, uh -huh. that ring my bell the most. And the words were too late. Uh -huh. And what happens when it's too late, when, when we're in it and we realize, uh-oh, I'm in a bad place right here. Yeah. And I, you know, I kind of thought about businesses that way, uh, uh, businesses that go out of business, even big corporations, mm -hmm. uh, don't realize that they're going out of business until it's too mm -hmm. late. Like there's this cycle of, you know, decline and brand relevance. And before they know it, uh Oh, the competition is, has passed us and we don't have a pivot. And that happens to us personally is we get to this place where we don't realize it. And I think you're right. Leaders like to be heroes. We're going to take mm -hmm. care of our people. We are the leader. We're, we've got the cape on. And then we, then we realize, uh Oh, the quicksand, I, that I might be in trouble here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a dangerous yes. place to be. Very, very dangerous. And like you said, you know, they don't see it because part of what being in burnout does or being in a 
prolonged hyper stress state does is you you miss the red flags right you mm. miss the ability to really discern things and problem solve and understand what's going on around you when you think of any organism when it's in a hyper stress state and feels very threatened and overwhelmed it doesn't always take everything in and that's what happens with a lot of leaders and they develop really significant blind spots that ultimately put the organization in jeopardy. Um, Dr. Kim, you've lived there. You, mm -hmm. You've been to that. It's too late. Like you've been, you're right <laughs> on the edge and um, your story was powerful and deep mm -hmm. and uh, came, you know, to really give you credibility on this mm -hmm. topic. I'd love for you to share a little bit about how you came to this realization. Oh yes. Oh yes. And, and I think that's, that's one of the reasons why I love what I do because I've been there. Mm -hmm. I'm not coaching anyone on anything that I haven't experienced. Um, so it was about 2013 when I really started to notice that something was going on. Um, for your listeners, I'm, I'm a scientist by training. Um, I have my PhD and I was on faculty at an R1 research institution on tenure track. I checked all the boxes. Uh, I was a card carrying high achiever, knocked out my PhD in three and a half years. And I tell, I, you know, I tell people, I always joke, it would have been three, but I gave birth to my son. <laughs> and so my dissertation chair would not let me write um, while he was still in his newborn phase. So I had to stay an extra semester, but I was just one of those people, you know, I, I wanted to give everything 150%. I, you know, first generation American, first generation college student, you, you carry different mantles of weight when it, you know, when you're in that situation. Mm. And so 2013, I, uh, had a full-time faculty position, loved teaching, loved research. I could write grants, you know, in my sleep, loved all of that, all, all the right things. And I found myself struggling with my confidence in my ability to do, to do the job. And there were no external factors telling me that I should be concerned about my ability to do the job. I was one of the youngest faculty to win a university-wide award um, selected by the students uh, for my teaching. There was nothing saying that I was doing a bad job, but I couldn't shake the feeling that I was doing a bad job. I was exhausted. I started to get very cynical about the industry, the prof you know, the profession I was in. I was just, I mean, the, the way that I would describe that time period, I would just say I was tired and angry. And it was so bad. Sometimes I would want any reason not to go into work. Like just the thought of pulling into the parking lot wore me out. Every Sunday for a year, I had what's called the Sunday scaries. And that's when you develop anxiousness about, you know, the week ahead. You're fine on Saturday, but Sunday comes, especially Sunday evening, and I was just, I would get debilitating headaches. I mean, I took ibuprofen every Sunday for a year because I would just have such bad headaches. And um, 2014 rolled around. My son was just shy of two years old. And I found myself 
sitting on my sofa. Um, and my son was sitting on my feet. He was sitting on my feet, literally watching TV. My son always has to touch me. He's still like that to this day. And I found myself reasoning, you know, I, I was sitting there. I was like, well, Kyle, Kyle's my husband. He's going to need the bigger car now that we have to worry about car seats and stuff. And, um, I, I know that the traffic lights, we were in a small town in Northern Florida. I know that the traffic lights stop running at around 10. So there'll be less people on the road. I knew what road I was going to take. It was a, a road where it's, you know, one lane up and one lane down. It wasn't going to be a lot of traffic, not a lot of risk of people seeing me and getting me help. And the, that area was known for its, its, um, massive, like hundred year old oak trees. Right. And I knew what tree I was going to wrap my car around. And in that moment, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm making peace with how I'm going to do this, what time of night I'm going to do it. What is it going to look like? What are my chances of someone not helping me? Because I wanted being a high achiever. I wanted to make sure I finished it. Right. And out of nowhere, my son jumps up into my lap and grabs my face with both hands and just starts screaming at me. Mommy, I love you. Mommy, I love you. Mommy, I love you. Now, it's important to point out that at that point, our son was being seen by a speech therapist because he had a speech delay and he was not stringing full sentences together like that and being that clear. And he did this and it like sort of brought me back. And I was like, what? What's going on? Why is he on me? Why is he screaming like this? Oh my goodness, he's screaming full sentences. This is exciting. But he jumped in my lap to comfort me because I didn't realize that I had started crying. And in that moment, my medical training kicked in and I was like, oh my goodness, I have a plan. I'm not okay. I'm not okay. And so I reached over, I grabbed my phone, sent a text to a friend and I was like, listen, I'm not okay. I need the contact information for that therapist that you used. Got in touch with a great therapist and um, she said, well, Kim, you know, you're still in your postpartum window. Blake is, is not quite three years old yet. You're still in your postpartum window. Why don't we get you a full, you know, um, hormone workup to make sure that this isn't anything hormonal that's going on with you? It doesn't, it doesn't sound like postpartum, but I just want to make sure that's not what's going on. Got the full workup. Everything came back fine. She said, oh, okay, I know it's wrong. And I was like, what? And she goes, um, you're, you're just burnt out. And I was like, what? And she, cause you know, you go into these sessions wanting an official diagnosis and she's like, no, you're just, you're fried, you're burnt out. And I remember I got angry with her in that moment because I thought I'm paying you $150 an hour for you to make up a diagnosis. And she, she explained to me that it, it's not yet an official diagnosis. It's sort of an informal term right now but she said, you know, you, I see this a lot with high achievers. You're, you're just, you're exhausted. You're fried. And me being me decided this is something I don't know about. 
but it almost cost me my life. And so I devoted the rest of my time to learning as much as I possibly could about it. And then that turned into having more conversations about it, finding out that it's more common than we think, but no one talks about it. So now I spend my time talking about it. I, I'm going into organizations talking about it. I'm talking about it with leaders because I don't ever want anyone to have my story. Um, <laughs> so many things. Mm-hmm. One, you know, just a quick acknowledgement here that this, this story is a perfect example of why burnout is not just some passing term. Mm-hmm. You can't just say, ah, well, you know, I'm burnt out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a serious, <laughs> serious thing. Absolutely. The second thing that strikes me, and I think our listeners probably just sensed the exact same thing that I did the first time I heard the story, which was, <clears throat> wait a minute, you were telling us about the Sunday scaries and the, you know, I'm tired. And then you're the next thing we're talking about planning to wrap your car around a tree Mm-hmm. you know, off yourself, like, mm-hmm. wait, wait a minute. Wait, that went from, that went from zero to a hundred instantly. Mm-hmm. And e- even hearing it the second time, I I had to pause and go, wait, Oh you, wow. You, okay. You, yeah. That just transferred from I'm sitting on my couch to <laughs> my son is yeah. saving my life. Yeah. Um, and so that's how it happens. It sneaks up that yes. fast. And so my question for you is, what were you writing all the symptoms off to? I mean, you know, you were taking ibuprofen. You you kept saying, you know, for a year I was experiencing the the Sunday scaries and I had these headaches and I, but you obviously you dismissed them. You treated mm-hmm. them at the surface. What were you writing that off to? Because I think we do that. I think we just kind of dis. We we're in denial. Is that what it was? Yeah. It's not even denial. It's just I didn't know what it was. I just thought, okay, this you know I'm getting older. Mm. You know, this is just stress. It's my body. You know, I tried working out differently. I tried changing my diet. I tried all of these different supportive things. And I was like, no, you know, this is just a natural part of the job, right? This is Mm -hmm. just, this is what it is. And I need to get through it. And I love that you highlighted, you know, it sneaks up on you. Mm. Burnout doesn't just happen. It's slow it's steady and it takes a lot to wear you down. Prior to this, I had no previous history of depression and anxiety, none whatsoever. And that's Mm. what scared me because I was like, this isn't me. What's going on here? You know, and, and it just goes to show that burnout has nothing to do with a lack of resiliency. For a lot of people, by the time you hit the point where you begin to notice the symptoms, you have already adapted as much as you possibly can. Oh, wow. So it has nothing to do with resiliency. Yeah, we have these, I, these natural mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> instincts. Yeah. Right, that kick in and protect us. I mean, we have these survival things that we don't even know are happening. Yes. And my body was compensating. My body was compensating. The headaches were happening because my body was like, hey, Hey, we're a little tired of the amount of cortisol that you have freely running around here. We're a little tired of the the nonstop adrenaline at the thought of work, you know? And, And so when the symptoms really start to show up, 
that's our body saying, hey, we we've adapted all that we can. Um, you you need to change what's causing the stress here because this this wasn't supposed to be a constant thing, right? If if we take it all the way back to Folkman and Lazarus with the stress model, stress is a cognitive assessment that something is causing you harm or something is going to cause you harm. It's supposed to be a quick blip. You react, you respond, you get away from the danger, and then your stress levels come back down. But for many of us, our work environment keeps us in this hyper-stress state. And it's not just our work environment. For me, it was also my relationship with work. So much of my identity was wrapped up in what I was doing for a living that I didn't know how to turn it off. I didn't know how to reduce the stress. And and what's crazy is no one was demanding that of me. You know, I've gone back and I've spoken to my mentors and, and leadership at the university where I was. And, you know, they always say to me, Kim, you were, you were so talented. It, it, we were never afraid that you wouldn't make tenure. We were never afraid about your performance. I was marked to become an associate dean. I was, I was marked to become the first black associate dean, the youngest associate dean. My performance was never an issue, but in my head, in my mind, in that time, I was failing miserably and I, I was one big imposter. It also, correct me if I'm wrong, it it also dawns on me that I hadn't thought of it this way. You don't have to hate your job to go into burnout. I mean, you can love your job. It can be a fulfilling, purposeful, you're right where you need to be and still get burned out to the place of danger. Absolutely. Absolutely. And oftentimes it's because we love the job. Yes. It's, It's we wrap our identity up in the job. And then it gets even harder to set those boundaries to prevent the burnout. Wow. So I often just, when I'm having these conversations, I think a lot about the leaders that I coach Mm -hmm. and I hear it. I I hear this stuff. The leaders I coach love their work. You know, Mm -hmm. we, I'm, I'm, I coach 90 to 95% of my clients are in the nonprofit sector. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. That's my, that's my mission wheelhouse. So I'm coaching leaders who are in the social sector, who are doing, who are taking on Herculean effort. I mean, they're, they're, they're working to end homelessness. They're helping victims of domestic violence. They're trying to solve hunger. They are working with people with disabilities. They are, I mean, they're big, big societal social issues helping people who are in the darkest and deepest of places and circumstances. Mm -hmm. And there's this heroic fulfilling thing to say, yes, I want to make a difference. It's why people lead in the nonprofits. It ain't for Mm -hmm. the money for sure. (laughs) So it, you know, they often in their motivators assessments, you'll find that they're often motivated uh, tremendously by altruism and not Mm -hmm. by economics or power. And so they're doing this because you said it in the beginning, it's always about others. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, it, teaching leadership, I tell leaders, leadership is not about you. It's about, mm-hmm. it's about those that you lead. And there's a saying that I, I picked up a number of years ago that says leadership is not all about you, but some of it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the, some of it is <laughs> means you better take care of yourself yeah. 
or you're not going to be able to lead it. We've all heard the oxygen mask illustration, mm-hmm. you know, put, put the mask on yourself first. If you can't breathe, you can't help somebody else. Right. And so you don't have to hate your job. Here's here. Let's get into some, some, um, some practical things mm-hmm. looking back now and, you know, having done the, the research and, and now, now you've taken your personal experience You've got the research behind it. You've got mm-hmm. the experience that you see and, and coach all of your clients on. <laughs> what can you tell us today are the core symptoms that people can look out for and go, Ooh, I might be, I might be headed toward burnout. Oh yes. Or, or might already be in it. <laughs> well, you, we, we, uh, <laughs> we hope that we can, you know, help our listeners before they get there, but yeah. Yes. What are, yes. what are the, you said the word red flags a while ago. What are they? Give me, and I know there's a ton of them, but give us, give us the key ones that you see as the most common red flags to look for when you're headed toward or have arrived at dangerous burnout. Yes. So it, it's three main red flags that we look for. The, the first one is exhaustion. So, and when I say exhaustion, this isn't a, uh, oh, I can just take a quick vacation and feel recharged. You know, you can't sleep it off. You can't vacation it off. You are just so exhausted. The thought of work, you can be on a beach with toe, with your toes in the sand, just having had, you know, nine hours worth of sleep, life's good, your belly is full, and you can see one email notification and all of a sudden all of that feels undone, right? Work triggers a level of exhaustion in you that you you almost feel like you can't escape from. And we're not talking about incidental exhaustion. We're not talking about, man, I worked really hard today because it was a long, stressful day and I had a lot of intense work. And at the end of the day, whoo, I'm tired. We're not talking about that. No, no, this is a nonstop. I feel like I can never turn off when it comes to work. Um, You're thinking about it constantly and that's because once you you've reached that level of stress right if the work if the stress is unrelenting once you've reached the point where just the thought of work triggers a full-on stress response and you can't wind down Mm -hmm. that's what we look for just you know and and oftentimes when people get to this point of exhaustion they're like "I, i i i don't know what's going on with me i i they try to do as much as they possibly can, and it's just never enough, right? So that's that's the first red flag. We okay. look for exhaustion. And there are ways that we can measure the exhaustion. And typically, clients seek help. This lets you know how resilient a lot of leaders are. By the time they come to me and I conduct their assessment, they are typically in the 98th or 99th or higher percentile for exhaustion. I get outliers. I'll say to leaders, you're not even on my, on my grid. That's how exhausted you are. And they're like, what? Now, what, what are some of the metrics for that though? Like what, how, what are the mm-hmm. indicators that you, that create that score? 
So I use uh, the Moslock Burnout Inventory, which is the gold standard for assessing burnout. Mm. Um, and Moslock was one of the original pioneers of, of burnout. There are two, Moslock and Freudenberger. Moslock quantified burnout, right? And she created a tool that's used in um, over 88% of the research studies when it comes to burnout. It's the gold standard. So it's able to capture um, people's level of exhaustion based off of their responses um, on a Likert scale to different statements. And clients are surprised at how much that tool tells on them mm -hmm. because they'll think they're hiding it really well and no one can see. And for the most part, they are until they take that assessment and I'm able to show them where they're mapping when compared to thousands of other people that have taken this very same assessment. And that's usually a huge wake up call for them. It's also very validating because they'll go, I thought I was just losing my edge. I thought I was just not able to keep up, but no, I'm, I'm genuinely tired. And that helps them a lot. Just getting that validation. Like I thought something was genuinely wrong with me and I go no 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 you're 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 actually very very exhausted mm. um so that's the first red flag the second red flag is cynicism they get very negative sometimes downright angry and full of rage at either the organization or the industry that they're in so I'm sure you've seen that with your clients where absolutely they they get very resentful of the nonprofit sector um, or their, and, or their boards or yes. their, you know, community for not supporting what they're trying to do or yeah. everything starts to become other people's yes. fault. <laughs> yes. Yes. And you hear that, you hear that in how they describe what's going on with them. When I start to hear statements that sort of, well, I do this and I do that and I carry this and I carry that because one of the things that happens when you feel threatened is you prioritize your survival and everyone can become a threat to that survival. Mm. And so their speech changes, right? You're a leader. There's no I in team, but man, you sure are using I a lot lately <laughs> in how you're describing yeah. the situation. That's you. That's another sign. Um, the third sign is professional efficacy and professional efficacy is, is confidence in your ability to do the job. And when a leader is exhausted, when they're feeling overwhelmed, when they feel like everything's just stacked against them and their inability in their ability to succeed, they start to lose confidence in their ability to do the job. So something that they could have done with their eyes closed before they they were burnt out, now all of a sudden it's taking them forever to do, right? So that can range from writing a speech to developing a report to the board to anything they just start to really question their ability to do the job so those three things are what i look for exhaustion cynicism and professional efficacy so increased exhaustion increased cynicism and a decrease in professional efficacy they start to think that i can't do the job and so the natural inclination once all of these three uh, symptoms are showing is they quit. They want to quit. 
and they think it's the right decision. And it's always funny when they start working with me because I won't sign off on them quitting. Mm. They're like, you're my coach. You're supposed to help me develop an exit plan. And I'm like, I can, but we need to know what's causing all of this stress. What caused you to burn out in the first place? Because there's no guarantee that those exact same stressors won't be at the next place. Oh, that is really, really good right there. That last thing you just said, that mm-hmm. if, it, if it is, um, you know, if it's something you're not addressing and dealing with, it's a pattern that's going to follow you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it doesn't happen to be this particular job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yep. powerful. Yeah. So once, so let's say, um, well, no, I want to, I want to wait. I want to get to that later. I want to ask you this question first. Um, okay. Because I want to get to what happens once you realize it. So now, now we've talked about how do I recognize it? And so mm-hmm. preventing it is part of it is you have to diagnose it properly. And that means mm-hmm. you have to at least have enough self-diagnosis to know when to reach out for help, <laughs> maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but here's my question for you. We all get stressed. We all get tired. You know, isn't, isn't there a healthy amount of stress? I mean, stress, you know, we do want to perform. We do want to give, you know, I'm, I'm, I listen to people like Grant Cardone talk about 10 X mm-hmm. man, give set your goals 10, <laughs> 10 times higher and work 10 times harder and bet. And I'm a believer in that to a large degree, you know, your, your effort and your, I give it all, you know, give it, give it your all. And, and, and stress is going to happen mm-hmm. and exhaustion is, is going to happen. What's that? There's a tipping point though. Yes. Yes. How do you know, how do you balance that? How do you know when, cause I'm imagining a lot, a lot of people, I bet you, I bet you most of, if not all of our listeners right now are going, ha, edge, exhaustion, cynicism, and professional efficacy. Been there. My whole career. Yeah. I guess my whole <laughs> life, dude, get, you know, join the club. <laughs> and, and you know, there's, so there's a degree of it that kind of mm-hmm. comes with the territory, but yes. then there's a tipping point where it's too much. Yes. How do you recognize that? When it starts to cause harm, actual harm. So remember, stress is just a threat of harm. It doesn't actually have to happen. But with burnout, and this is why the World Health Organization got involved, it actually causes harm. So burnout is tied to quite a few of the chronic conditions that we see. The most common ones are hypertension or cardiovascular disorders and diabetes. So when it actually starts to cause harm, and I'll even go so far as to say it doesn't just have to cause physical harm, although that's the most common harm that it will cause because it's, it's, an in, it's a never-ending internal stress storm going on within our bodies. But leaders are three times more likely to experience a divorce than any other group in the workplace. Mm. So when it starts to harm your relationships, right, even though burnout is an occupational phenomenon, there's no such thing as a personal you and a professional you. So if this stress is starting to take over your most important relationships, not because you you love them any less, but because you're at capacity and dealing with more humans, even though it's inside your home, even though you may have helped to create some of them, right? If that just feels overwhelming to you because you don't have the capacity to do it, that's when the stress becomes a problem. Yeah. Well, you still have to be pretty aware 
mm-hmm. to to know when harm is being done because I you know I appreciate the the distinction in what harm can be harm is not yes there's all kinds of medical research that says stress mm-hmm. leads to bad things physically in your body because our hormones and our you know everything it's all connected mm-hmm. but the relationship harm. Mm-hmm. Or things, you know, your priorities at work, leaders can start to drift from their core responsibility and accountability. And, and they're actually doing busy work. Yes. But not back on the core and the vision and the, and so, and their relationships with their team, uh, yes. they can become either, either toxic or distant or yeah. disengaged and the rest of the team starts feeling that and they don't yes. always know what they're feeling or yes. why that's the, they don't even you know recognize that they're experiencing that, but harm comes in a lot of different forms. You just have to be very aware to recognize when harm is being done. 100%. And really having the ability to step back and go, well, is it me? Is it me? Because mm. I, I get a lot of leaders. This is always my favorite when they call me in to their organizations and they're like, yeah, our team is burnt out. Your team is burnt out. Yeah. <laughs> our, our, my team is burnt out. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. How do you think they got that way? I don't know. That's why you're here. Mm-hmm. Well, will I be working with you? No, 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 no. Help my team. Nope. Doesn't work that way. Yeah. Your team's not in the room. <laughs> that's what, that's what my coach trainer always taught us. You can't coach who's not in the room. Right. Right. Yeah. What's it, your, it, it what's your role that way? Yep. And a lot of leaders, you know, if you're seeing burnout in your team, it, it's a reflection of what's already happened in you because burnout rolls downhill. And when you're in survival mode or when a leader is in survival mode, you subconsciously put everyone else into that you're around in survival mode mm. because you're not thinking clearly. So how can you guide the ship? Yep. Yep. But, and then we move into denial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's yeah. when we move into, no, I'm guiding the ship. I know what I'm doing. I'm the, yeah. Yeah. Not, it's them. Not realizing it's them. It's them. Yeah. That's good. We used to call that, you know, the Bob principle. Uh-huh. If Bob has a problem with everyone, Bob's the problem. Bob's the problem. <laughs> and, and, and I'll have to say, you know, it isn't a, it isn't a, a them problem. It's a, our problem. It isn't a, their problem. Yeah, it's a, yeah. our problem. That's good. That's good. So, okay. Let's say we've got a highly emotional, intelligent, uh, emotionally intelligent leader who on the self-awareness and self-management scale, boom, they got it. Hey, yep, mm-hmm. I, I'm getting there. I need to pause. I need to, um, or or they they get it, but it's kind of in that too late mode. Yep, like I'm burned out. Mm-hmm. How do you overcome it now? And by the way, answer that in 20 seconds, right? Give us the <laughs> give us the single. No, I'm kidding. But like, what are the <laughs> what are the tenets? What are the core big elements of the steps and the process? of beating burnout? The biggest step is recognizing that you're at risk for it and, and, or may have already experienced it. Right. Mm. The second part is working on separating your individual identity from what you are currently doing for a living. 
we've been conditioned to see that as a good thing. You know, I'm a this, I'm a that. And it's like, no, 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 you're not that. You're currently doing that. But that's not what you are. Because if I take that away, you need to be able to define who you are and what you believe. And that's often a scary conversation for a lot of my clients because it's like, well, I, I don't know who I am if I'm not doing this. Ah, so let's figure out who you are. Let's get back to that. And a lot of times I refer clients out to therapists, right? Because coaching isn't therapy. Right. So <laughs> a lot of times when we get to that point, I'm like, hmm, are you open to therapy? And they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, we, I work hand in hand with the therapist. Like we're helping them to get to the root of some of the behaviors and the habits that they've developed with work. And then I'm turning around and giving them the strategies and the tools to move forward from those, those habits. Recovery from burnout is a process. It's slow. It's uncomfortable. It's going to force you to confront a lot of things and unlearn a lot of things. Oh, but once you do and create the freedom and the capacity to just do your job, most of my folks get promoted most of my folks experience a productivity that they haven't been able to achieve in years because they didn't have that freedom that they needed. So in addition to you know, the, the identity piece, we're also looking at some practical factors like, okay, we can put them on a, on a physical activity regimen to burn up some of that cortisol and, and the hormones that are running around. We look at diet, we look at sleep, we look at just other factors. We look at how do you spend time with relationships? Are you allowing your loved ones to pour into you and how are you pouring into them? Is it a harmful relationship or is it a helpful relationship? Helpful relationships are buffers. They're protective from burnout. Why? Because it helps to remind you that your world is so much bigger than the work that you're doing, right? So we, we go through all of that. So my approach to burnout is very comprehensive because I don't just approach it from the perspective that it's 100% organizational culture. Well, when you're the leader, you create the culture. So it's 50% organizational culture and 50% you or 50% the individual. And I work on both sides simultaneously trying to get them to a healthy place with, with work. It's never quite, I don't like the B word. I don't like balance. Because anyone that's ever had to be in charge of a company and people's jobs and, and report to a board, they're like, what's balance? There's no such thing. You better balance this spreadsheet. But there's no such thing as actual balance. So it's knowing when to prioritize different things in your life and how to step away from, you know, okay, I've done enough work for now. Let me go focus on other aspects of my life. Well, I think that is what most people equate to balance. Mm -hmm. So let me, well, I'm going to, I'm going to just stay on this one just a second. And, mm -hmm. and I don't know if I want to challenge it or just understand it a little bit better. I think I know what you're saying when you say there's no such thing as balance, but mm -hmm. what I, what a, it's a slightly difficult concept for me to just grasp and go, yep, I 100% that's true. Mm -hmm. But the mm -hmm. way that I do it, the way I would reconcile with it is there's not balance in a single moment. I mm -hmm. think there's ebb and flow 
Mm-hmm. You know, there's yin and yang. There's there's um, pauses and cycles and seasons that we ha- that we give ourselves or that we need to give ourselves, but they flow back and forth, not simultaneously. Is That's that is that what you're saying? I mean, can, yes. Okay. Okay. Yes, because believe I. So I, I get a lot of leaders that want everything simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And I have, and I have to go, no, that can't exist. So if that's how you're defining balance, right. then you're, you're kidding yourself is what you're saying. Yes. You're okay. setting yourself Got up. Got um, for okay. <laughs> Cause you know, you'll hear people say, I mm-hmm. want to be the great mom or I want to be the great parent, but mm-hmm. I also want to be the great CEO and I want to be this. And, and it's like, wait, we, we've, we have to find, I call it the natural work rhythms. We have to find your work rhythms. Yeah. And then we have to find how to coordinate life to support that. Yeah. Right. So what does that mean? You, you may be the parent that buys the cookies instead of baking them for your kid's bake sale. Right. But at least you participated. (laughs) At least you participated. So, so working through that. Yes. That's what I mean by balance. If, if the idea is that you're going to do all things well, all the time at the same time, absolutely not. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely not. Um, I've talked about this a lot. Uh, Dr. Marshall Goldsmith in his latest Mm -hmm. book, uh, talks about the difference between what you do and who you are. Yeah. And, um, it, and he talks about the difference between ambition and aspiration. Mm -hmm. And, um, one of the things that I really, I got from him recently that is, I think having an impact on me right now in a positive way is he asks the question, if you were to, if you were to carry a single index card around with you that had one thing written on it, that would help add value to your life in the long term, what would you have written on that card? And he shared what he, what his answer to that is. And I completely just subscribed to it. Like I couldn't think of my own. I couldn't think of a better one. So I've really embraced it. And it is this, am I being the person I want to be right now Mm, in in any given moment? Like right now on this podcast episode, am I being the person I want to be? Am I fully present? Am I listening? Well, am I bringing the energy? Am I learning? Am I contributing? Am I, does this align with my mission? Is it, you know, am I giving it my best? Like, am I being the person I want to be? right now. Uh, when I get off of this, this podcast, I'm on to the next thing. It might be, and you know, and, and tonight I've got family coming in and my, mm-hmm. my, our grandson will be with us for a couple of days. How do I show up there in a way that in, in every moment I can say I'm being, I'm not doing, I'm being, mm-hmm. I'm being the person I want to be right now. And I think that, uh, that, it resonates with me. What you're saying is very, very related to that. Mm-hmm. We, I, I remember, you know, we, I, when I was in the interview world, I would ask candidates, you know, what's the first question you normally ask in an interview? Like the first thing they walk in, you shake hands, they sit down, you know, the, the first question is usually, so tell us about yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, I got my degree at so-and-so and and I went to work for such and such and I was this, and I was the director of such and such. And then I was the director and, and I learned to stop and go, okay, so you just read your resume to me. 
Now tell me about yourself. <laughs> right. Because what you did is you told me about your titles and your, your job responsibilities and the timing and the, you know, but tell me about yourself. Who are you? Yeah. And that's the difference. What I do and who I am are not synonymous. Right. Hopefully they align. Right. <laughs> but they're not synonymous. Right. So, right. so I heard you say you got to acknowledge it. First mm-hmm. thing I, I, mm-hmm. I also heard you say in so many words, once you acknowledge it, you gotta, you gotta be willing to get help. Yes. Yes. And that doesn't necessarily mean a therapist, does it? I mean, mm-hmm. maybe, but what other forms of help once you acknowledge it and you realize it? Yep. I'm there. What are the tools at your disposal? What, where do you, where do you go from there? Well, I mean, fully recognizing my bias, I, I think everyone should have a coach and a therapist mm. personally. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah, good. But, um, you know, because sometimes you need an outside perspective to just help you see better. Yeah. All right. To help you see, because it, it's hard to see things when you're in it or you only know of a certain way of doing or being. Mm. So this is where, you know, and when you and I both study really successful people, that's a distinguishing factor. They are not afraid to invest in support to help them bring out the best version of themselves. They're not afraid to do that. I can't speak professionally about therapists, although I can't disagree with you either. But Mm -hmm. what I always say about coaching is, you know, Here's a question I ask. What do, what do, you know, Brad Pitt, Oprah Winfrey, you know, uh, Jeff Bezos, mm-hmm. Celine Dion and Tiger Woods all have in common? Besides they all hire the coach. Besides the fact that they're rich celebrities. They but all how they get there. They all use coaches. Yep, all and use they, coaches. Not not they all used coaches. Mm-mm. Today, at the peak mm-hmm. of their game, they continue to be coached, I think, for the very reason that you just said. The, the golf coaches and tennis coaches that coach these world-class athletes are not, they could never beat the athletes they coach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tiger Woods golf coach cannot beat him in a match of golf. Right. So what is it? What's that value that that coach brings you know, even though they're not the golfer Tiger Woods is, how is it then that they can help Tiger Woods become a better golfer? Right. And that's, that's the power of coaching, right? Mm -hmm. When you do it right, you coach from a place of your client already knows the answers. (laughs) They already know what they need to do. Our, our goal is to help them identify where the blocks are, where the obstacles are. Mm Mm-hmm. And then wherever we can help them to do, you know, implement some strategies to overcome that. Like everything starts in the mind. So much of it is mental that we do Um, that once you overcome the mindset hurdles, training the body is easy. Mm -hmm. It's, it's easy. Um, And you see that even with burnout, it, it, you know, I'll have clients that say, well, I want to learn how to work more efficiently. Well, first we need to uncover why do you work the way that you do? Yep. What is it about it? You know, there's still people that wear, I wrote a blog post about this um, this weekend. We still wear late hours, long hours, wearing ourselves out. We still wear it like a badge of honor. Why do you do that? 
That's a great question. And you're right. We do wear it like a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. We have to. That's what that's what we tell ourselves <laughs> to, <laughs> to justify it and keep doing it. It's yeah. like, yeah, I'm supposed to do this. I'm again, I'm wearing the cape. Yeah. Yeah. And my grant my my granting organizations are not gonna they don't care how stressed I am. They want the report tomorrow. And my board doesn't care how stressed I am. They need the strategic plan done. And my staff doesn't care how stressed I am. They need the, they need my guidance on this, that, or the other. And, you know, um, my budget is not going to take time off. Um, I've got to, I've got to do that. And the, and the people I'm serving out there, the hungry, homeless, disabled, mm-hmm. whatever it is, they, they don't care how stressed I am. They're more stressed than I am. They're in it. I've got to just keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. There is no out. And my counter to that is, is that the only way to achieve all of that? Yeah. Well, I can't think of another way. Well, right? let's find some other way. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You have to explore it <laughs> and you have to be open to, you have to be open yeah. to exploring it. Yeah. And change is hard. Change is hard when you're exhausted because oftentimes, you know, it, it's been interesting, um, seeing, you know, Kubler-Ross change the model from the stages of grief to the stages of change. Mm-hmm. Because psychologically, we process loss and change the exact same way. Yeah, because we are losing something. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, you know, mm-hmm. there's an ending of something in order to create a beginning of something else. Absolutely. Yeah. And and when you try to introduce change, you know, the first response is, well, I have to learn something different, which means I can't do something the way that I've always done it. But what has the way that you've always done it, what has it cost you? And yeah. is it worth it? Yeah. Or is it going to get you to the next place? Right. Um, I, I, I love that, um, that parallel. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking of a phrase we often say, and as I repeat it in my head, it makes sense. We always say people hate change. Mm-hmm. People hate loss. They hate loss. Human beings hate loss that's what we hate that's so a good, that's a good when distinction you're, when you're presenting change in an organization understand that the resistance is not coming from the change it's coming from a perception of loss mm. and we mourn it no differently than when we lose a loved one that's good that's right um, Dr. Camboy, we could go on and on and on. I can't believe we're already, we're already heading up on an hour here and I don't want to do too, I don't want to do information overload, but I'm just going to yeah. ask you just sort of an open-ended question. What else about burnout, recognizing it, overcoming it, what other tenant or tenants would you want to share before we wrap the conversation? The most important thing is that burnout is not a sign of failure. It's simply an alarm that your body is sending you that the way that you're working is no longer sustainable. Wow. (laughs) Extremely well said. What, by the way, is the difference between burnout and stress? So again, burnout is unrelenting. You can't get a break from it. And burnout actually starts to cause harm. Okay. It starts to cause harm. Okay. So burnout and stress are not synonymous. I just want to really drive that point home. Yes. I think that's a big, important yes. distinction. Burnout is unrelenting stress. So mm. remember, stress is supposed to be a quick spike and then the threat right. goes away mm-hmm. and you're, you're back to normal. 
burnout happens when you never go back to a non-stress state. It's like, I'm always stressed. That's a part of the job. And yeah. it's like, mm, no, that's when you experience burnout. Wow. There's a couple of questions I like to ask all my guests because I love the different perspectives and stories that I hear. Who Who's a leader in your life that you could point to and give a quick example of who's had a great impact on your leadership philosophy and, and sort of what's gotten you to this place and why? Um, this is going to sound cliche, but actually my mother, my hmm. mother. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, my family immigrated to the United States in 1985. And at the time, I, w I was already born. And um, I joke with my sister, because my sister and I were 13 years apart. And I joke with her, because she didn't get to see the immigrant journey. She didn't get to see what that process looked like. You know, by the time she was born, my parents had their citizenship. They were already well-established. But I watched my mother um, go from, you know, having a highly respected position in the country where they're from to coming to the U.S. and having to have to start over and start over and work her way all the way back up to a position where she is retiring. <clears throat> She's actually retiring on December 31st of this year of being an administrator in, in healthcare, being a healthcare administrator and watching her along that journey um, really taught me the importance of valuing every member of your organization because she's, she's worn every hat, right? So my mom, um, <clears throat> she started off when they came to this country, she was a uh, nanny for a family. And then she went to, she went on to become a nurse's aide. Then she became a nurse. Then she became a nurse manager. Then she became a nursing administrator. And then she became an administrator. And I got to see how people treat, how leaders treat people, depending on whether or not they think they're of value. And as a child watching that, I can't even begin to tell you how much that stuck with me growing up, right? Mm. And it it it's one of those things where um that I I didn't realize until I got into until I was about 5 years into leadership coaching understanding how much that impacted the way that I approached leadership. Mm -hmm. Um and it, it's, it's, she was the one that taught me, you know, she has this incredible ability and her staff said it, they had her retirement party last week and her staff said, you know, you make every single person in this, in this organization feel like your most important employee. Mm. And that's my mom. That's, that's, a, that's wow. her ability. You know, my sister and I joke, we're 13 years apart, but we all feel, we both feel like her favorite. Like we couldn't tell you which one was her favorite. <laughs> we both will sit there and argue why we're her favorite. Like that's her superpower. Wow. That's incredible. What, and what a great sort of uh, real lesson to get to carry with your, with you, you know, mm -hmm. through the, your 
leadership journey, you know, as you said, um, five years into coaching, it, you're so right. We, I've learned so much in the years that I've been coaching mm-hmm. because we learn from the people we coach too. I mean, we, yeah. we, we coach extraordinary people. I mean, I coach leaders. I couldn't do what they do. They're incredible. Right. <laughs> and, and I just, I learned so much and I, and you do, you learn a lot about yourself when you're coaching and you realize mm, I'm coaching myself right now a little bit here. Yeah. <laughs> so that's powerful. Oh, yeah. Um, so let, let's, um, I, boy, we, again, we could go on and on. I just want to thank you again. I really do. Thank you for the time. Um, Dr. Kim hires.com. Dot com. Yeah. So Dr. Dr. So Dr. Kim K I M. Yes. Hires like one hires an employee. Yes. Um, (laughs) Dr. Kim hires.com and lots of resources there and the ability to get in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing. And, um, I can certainly say with confidence, uh, I can make a strong recommendation, engage Dr. Kim. She's, um, she's the real deal. I think you just picked that up if you've been listening. (laughs) So uh, my last question for you, Dr. Kim is, um, you're given, you're given 20 seconds in front of the world with a megaphone, all the leaders of the world, everyone who's, who's a leader and, uh, they are looking to you for your number one piece of advice for all leaders. Yeah. What would that be? (laughs) It would be that leadership development is personal development Hmm. because we don't lead from what we know. We lead from the essence of who we are. Mm. Wow. We don't lead from what we know. Mm -hmm. We lead from the essence of who we are. Mm. So focus on just becoming a better person and the leadership naturally follows from that. That's so good. That And that's why, to me, the ideal position of leadership is that those that I'm leading are smarter and better than I am at what they do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My job's yep. to show up. My job yep. is to be, not to do. Right. And wow, that's that's powerful. That's where leadership comes from. Dr. Kim, I can't thank you enough. This is fantastic. Thank you, thank you so much, folks. Um, take this time, pause, reflect, ask yourself some critical questions. Look back on the year. We've, we're living in stressful times. I mean, mm-hmm. we're living in, you know, uh, stress, is, stress and burnout are probably as high as they've ever been. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Do you think that's true? Absolutely. And what I've been telling leaders, I'm like, okay, so we've experienced the ultimate VUCA environment for the last two and a half years, Mm -hmm. three years, maybe even longer than that, depending on the industry that you're in. You've proven that you can't outwork it. Yep. So how can we innovate? Yep. Well, this is a good time for all of us to just pause, ask ourselves some of those questions, be honest with ourselves Mm -hmm. and uh, take some action to avoid uh, or overcome burnout for ourselves and for those that we lead. Uh, It goes hand in hand. Lead on folks. 